Hi, welcome back to Let's Talk About Race, the podcast where we do away with all the yelling and try and get into the deeper details of race and the nuances of race in America. Today's episode, we're talking about being African American versus being black in America. I'm joined here today with three great guests, Sabil, Esther, and Bumi. Thank you guys for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so quick, I'm just going to have you guys go around the room, say you know, who you are, uh, what country you're from, and again, how you identify racially, be it African American, black, or however you like to say it. My name is Sabil Santahuma. I am from Haiti. I would consider myself Haitian America. I've lived in the U.S. permanently now for about nine years. My name is Esther. I'm from Nigeria. And before coming to America, I didn't know I was black or whatever. <laughs> I was just a Nigerian girl. Mm-hmm. But great. in the context of the global definition of race, I'm black. Yeah, uh, my name is Bumi. I'm also from Nigeria. I would definitely identify as black, not black American. Okay, yeah. and you, do you think of yourself as primarily, I guess, uh, for all three of you guys, do you think of yourself primarily as black first, or do you identify more with your nationality, be it like Haitian or Nigerian? Well, I, I could go on. Uh, I, it's interesting, it's just like Esther had said, that prior to coming to America, I never saw myself as black. I was just Nigerian. That was it. So that was my identity until I came here and then I realized, oh, okay, there's an identity that comes before my nationality and that's being black. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go with that. I'm black. Because that's what it says on every form. Fill out the <laughs> yeah. form. Yeah. I would have to echo what Esther said. I didn't realize I was black until I moved to America. I was always Haitian. And yeah. then being black just became this kind of first thing, you're mm-hmm. first black and then you're American, you're first black and then you're a woman, you're first yeah. black and then you're this. Totally. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because even when I introduce myself today, I first say I'm Nigerian. Mm-hmm. And people who know me from two, three years ago, I would say I'm Igbo first before mm-hmm. I say I'm Nigerian. Mm-hmm. And then globally, you would say black. Okay, yeah. and pardon my ignorance, so what you're saying, is that like a, a subsect within Nigeria, or what, what is that group? Yeah, that's an ethnic group in Nigeria. Okay. That's always how I would first introduce myself. <laughs> okay, Yeah. and yeah, that's good, I mean, I imagine, I don't know the statistics, but Nigeria is overwhelmingly black, right? It's, there's, I mean, it's, it's 99.9%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know if there's any you know, North African um, groups or whatnot. So do people usually identify that way as within, you know, ethnic group in Nigeria, or do they think of themselves as Nigerian first? Within Nigeria, they would identify first with their ethnic groups. And even within, even outside of Nigeria, when you're within a group of Nigerians, you would probably first of all identify exactly. with But once you're outside of that, then it, it doesn't make any sense to say I'm Yoruba. Nobody cares. Yeah, no one knows what it is. Nobody knows what it is, exactly, you know. So it's like identify as being Nigerian when I'm outside of Nigerian space, so to speak. Cool. Well, so the reason I'm asking all these questions is I had a really interesting experience. When I first moved to Oakland, I had this cab driver from the Congo, and he told me he didn't stop for black people, which I just, like, it was the first time I kind of encountered something like that, and I was like, by like on a spectrum of color who's very dark skinned and so like for him to say like I'm not stopping for black people the irony seemed you know really high um, and I actually encountered that with it. I always love talking to cab drivers learn a lot of different cultures um, but it's not the first time that 
or that wasn't the last time I counted. I've actually counted a few black drivers from different countries outside America who have this kind of weird racism towards American blacks, and I'd never actually thought of that divide. And so the reason why it interested me was because I think that race being a social construct, we create the divides on who's black. And so for us as Americans, we look at this, the entirety of, you know, African Americans, you know, you know, if you're Caribbean, if you're from any area, as long as you are dark-skinned, you are black, you know, and so I think that within that there's so much, you know, segmentation that's, that's worth addressing, so um, I'd be curious, and I know we talked about this a little bit right before this, but in, you know, your home countries, did you guys see examples of racism or colorism within, you know, different black communities? I will say that while Haiti, Haiti was the first black country to gain its independence, it is, I've always known a black president, Obama was not my first (laughs) black president, Um, colorism is a prevalent issue there because lighter skin is seen as a lot more sophisticated, better, lighter, brighter, all of that, and we even encounter in our society a lot of skin bleaching because of that mentality. Um, very, very common in Haiti for skin bleaching. So growing up, I did experience it, but it's also tied with classism Mm -hmm. that how it appears is really, really different than how how you would witness it in the U.S. I think in the U.S., colorism that I've I've experienced here has really been tied to, if you go as far back as slave, there's like, the house slaves and the field slaves and the house slaves are typically lighter and all of that. So the colorism here is really, really tied to that. In Haiti, it's just tied to the people that tend to be more well-off, the people that tend to be seen as higher socially, tend to be fairer skin. Okay, and is that the kind of thing would say that someone who's a higher, you know, class, lighter-skinned Haitian citizen, if they married a darker Haitian, would that be the thing that there would still be that kind of like, oh, don't do that? Depending who their family is. Okay. So that's why I said that it, colorism is, it's it exists, but it's also tied by your social class and who your family, like, growing up, if you go somewhere, they'll ask you, oh, c'est la fille de telle, you're whose daughter? Oh, okay. So that's uh, questions that you would get. Old school. Um, Esther Bumi, do you guys have any examples? Well, at home, definitely you would be considered more beautiful if you are a lighter skin. Even within different ethnicities, like in Igbo land, which is my ethnic group, right? The fair, fair ladies would be like, Omali Chamwa Chalocha, they're so fair and bright and beautiful, right? So within my society as well, yeah. But it's completely different from what I see here. Okay, I think it's a larger scale here, and this it's just it's a lot of pressure on like kids who grew up here, and throughout their life they're told that the lighter skinned people around them are you know the smartest or whatever they're better than they are. So that's different. I don't feel like like even I stay in America. I don't feel any white skinned person is better than me, right? Mm-hmm. But then at home I know that. The light, lighter skinned people are considered more beautiful, but that didn't affect me so much as I would say colorism in America affects black people. Yeah. But I'm glad I didn't grow up here. I'm glad I grew up with a sense of, you know, I feel very confident in myself. I don't feel inferior to anyone. Like at home, my challenge was being 
as good as the boys, right? Yeah. But here you have to be as good as the white people or whatever. That's that's really. I I, I think it's really. Esther did bring up something that's very interesting. And listening to to you to to the example from Haiti is is that the colorism, how colorism manifests itself in Nigeria seems to be different from how you for yours it's a social so it, it, it builds on there's a social component to that and it determines your social class in Nigeria it's not so much that it's very gender based so when we're talking about colorism it's usually colorism for the perspective of women women are more desirable if they're lighter for men it's not those distinctions hardly come into play if you're a lighter skinned guy or a darker skinned guy, it really doesn't make any difference. But it's when you when you're talking about female relationships, you know, it's like if you're lighter skinned, you're obviously more desirable. And of course, it's understandable because we didn't have um, the mixing. We didn't. I mean, you had a when we were colonized, you didn't have that level of yeah. mixing that you had in smaller countries or you had here in America with the slaves and the slave masters. The case of the United States is absolutely fascinating to me because. My perception of colorism was never class-based. It was always in the context of desirability. And desirability from a woman's perspective is how a woman is viewed in Nigerian society. That, that That's where colorism comes to play. Okay, thank you guys for sharing. So what about with respect to the example I provided with the cab driver from the mm-hmm. Congo? Do you guys, have you guys ever experienced... Um, uh, you know, either from your relatives or any example where you have seen like a oh uh, a distinction <laughs> or any sort of like discrimination against you know American blacks versus you know blacks from your home country. Dad, sorry, I'm gonna put you out there. <laughs> <laughs> My dad, when it comes to like the fake colored hair weave, mm. all of those different things, those are attributes that he has put to the black American, like Mm -hmm. the African American person. Mm -hmm. And so there's some stuff like the talking. Mm -hmm. And it's not their fault because that's what they see on TV is how they're taught, how they're perceived. Mm -hmm. So the media also plays a role in how people, how people in Haiti are from other countries Mm -hmm. perceive the black American person. So Mm -hmm. he, that cab driver probably thought, oh, in in the media, they typically show that either black people are going to rob you or they're Mm -hmm. not going to pay their fare. There's all of these negative attributes okay. that they're tied to that that's probably where he was like ooh I don't really stop for that because I'm protecting myself yeah any examples from other people too it's crazy that you say that because I have to say it's because of the way African Americans have been portrayed right they're seen as dogs especially the men right yeah and it has created this view of them even from people who don't live in America these days they will see African Americans as, you know, criminals or people who are out there to hurt them. Yeah. I remember my friend's dad who visited from Nigeria and uh, we were going to take the ferry from... Is it in New York he visited? In New York, okay. he visited New York and we took the ferry to Staten Island and, you know, it was like at 12 midnight and there were a lot of African Americans that were on that uh, train ride. Yeah. And his conversation, he basically told us to like go towards the other end where they know like all these people because he's scared of them. Mm-hmm. And because that's the story that he's been told. Mm-hmm. And that's the same I would say for so many people. So let me ask you, where do you, where does that come from? I know Sibyl talked about like coming out of the media, is this like, you know, word of mouth, or, you know, urban tales? Where do you feel like the general perception 
of African Americans. How do Nigerians ingest that? Where does that come from? That comes from the shows, TV shows that you watch, okay. right? Think mm-hmm. about any American TV shows. It's probably airing in so many other countries, mm-hmm. right? And they see that view of this group of people in America, and they believe it 100%, because there's no reason for them to question it. This, they don't have other sources to tell them, oh, this is... There might be a different way to take a look at this, right? So, can you think of any shows that you remember anyone here growing up? Think about uh, uh, Scare Street or something. It's like a a crime show. Yeah. It's like a reality show. The one where they go into a prison. They go to different prisons. Mm -hmm. And most of those prisons are predominantly, you see, black people, Mm -hmm. African Americans. Mm -hmm. Or this, this other show I was watching one time, it's just like... It's mostly in Texas, and they go and, you know, maybe there's a crime scene, and it's always, like, drug-related, mm-hmm. and it's all, they show this African-American guy who's, like, the guy who got killed, or, and then you trace it back to his friends who are part of this gang. And you see a lot of those shows, they travel. They don't just end in America. They yeah. travel to the rest of the world. Do you feel like you had, before you came to America, do you feel like you had any fears the way your friend's dad did? No. And I would say that's because I grew up in a very poor place at home. We didn't have like TVs that you could stream American channels, right? So I have to say, before my whole like planned trip to America, I didn't even know about the slave trade. That's how ignorant I was, right? And people who were from poor areas like I did, they don't know anything like this. And so for me, it was until I came to this country and lived here for a few years that I actually saw, you know, the horrors of, of being black in this country. I find that interesting. I, I grew up in, I grew up listening to gangster rap. Um, this was the era of DMX, Ja Rule, yeah. and those kind of, so that message, and this was in Nigeria. I didn't come to the U.S. until I was 18 uh, for college. Um, and this was the portrayal of the African-American guy, you know, and this was what, but the irony was that this was what we wanted to be. Like, we enjoyed that music. You enjoyed listening to Ja Rule's new album, Drop. You ran to get it. You know, the Rough Riders, yeah, DMX, all that. They came out. So I grew up in that time when Gangster Rap was coming out. And that was a perception of what it meant to be African-American. And, you know, that people would come with stories from, you know, they're coming back, visiting Nigeria. They come with stories of, oh, these African-Americans... You know, you don't want to be like them. They're just in the ghetto. They they kill, rob each other. Were you just saying that you thought the whole like the DMX gangster mm-hmm. kill was cool? That's the way you wanted to be. Yeah, which that's what I'm saying. It's the the irony. The irony of that really it, it really strikes me now that we wanted to be that, but in many ways we didn't want to be associated with the people who did that. We wanted to be it in ourselves. I don't know if that makes any sense. Like yeah. I wanted to be a cool gangster. But I didn't necessarily want to be associated with people. Yeah, I always have that, you know, just talking about your, that weird, ironic dichotomy. I think the same thing is true with, you know, whites in America with respect to, like, the whole gangster rap thing. Because mm-hmm. I think you'll see, uh, there was a video, I think, like, four years back or three years back, where mm-hmm. there was a frat at Ohio State, and they were using the N-word, and mm-hmm. it was like a, it was, it was a very outright racist yeah. thing. Yeah. But right. those are the same frats that would then you know, blast Chief Keef and like mm-hmm. the most gangster rap. Mm-hmm. And so it's like there's this kind of like fantasy fulfillment of like that lifestyle mm-hmm. with still a separation of like, oh, I'm not part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. it's interesting that you still experience yeah. that 
you know, as a black person in Nigeria, you know, thousands of miles away. I'd also like to say that, but apart from those, but shows like Martin, um, Family Matters, the one with LL Cool J, I can't remember the name, those traveled as well. Like, I grew up watching those shows, but I think it's important to note that even with those shows, I mean, you still had that narrative of, like, the narrative of African Americans kind of drowned out the positive influences that those shows might have had. So you came to America in high school first, mm-hmm. um, and Esther and Bumi, you guys came at 18 each? Mm-hmm. I came at 20. 20. Yeah. And you guys all described growing up in countries where black's not a thing because everyone's black. Mm-hmm. Um, so is can you think of, I'd be very curious, when you came here, your experience, was there the first time where you really felt like, oh, I'm black, and noticing that difference as opposed to growing up in your countries? For me, I would say I would describe my experience in three parts. When I came to the U.S. for high school, it was just for a year because I decided that I wanted to actually attend university in the U.S. I wanted to just make it easier for my transcript. So I went to a high school in Rochester, New York for a year. And my only friends there were actually the foreign exchange students from France. So even then, I found myself more... um, attracted to the culture versus ethnicity. They were foreigners. They spoke the same language as me, so I was drawn to them, and some of them were white, and some of them were biracial. Um, My second experience was, because after that I moved back to Haiti, Mm -hmm. and then I moved back to the U.S. at 17 to attend the University of Vermont, where I met you. And there... That's when I started realizing a bit because there was not a lot of diversity. I noticed it being the only black woman in certain of my classes. And even most of my friends were predominantly white. Um, But I still made friends that were people of color. And that's where I started understanding the concept of race in America. My, My other, my third, was when I transferred. I transferred to the University of Florida, which is way more diverse. It's still considered a predominantly white institution, but it's still way more diverse than the University of Vermont was. And that's where I saw the division that existed because there were so many more people. Division between whites and blacks? Yes. Um, Because there were so many more people that you just saw that, oh wait, I'm going somewhere and all the black people are hanging out here and then all the white people are hanging out there and then there are the black sororities and black fraternities and there are the regular general sororities and fraternities and while I wasn't the only black person in some of my classes I still was a minority there I wouldn't look around and see tons of people that looked like me anymore but the group of friends that I drew myself to were people that looked like me so I think when we're put in these situations we tend to create a community within a community yes I was in America but I created a community that resembled my one from back home where I was surrounded by people that looked like me while still infiltrating myself in different cultures and meeting different people. Yeah, totally. Yeah, well, my my experience was also in phases. So when I, when I first came into America, I, I started off at an HBCU, Howard, in D.C. So my, my okay, so I'll, I guess I'll break it up like this. I first found out, before I found out I was black in the wider context of America, I found out that I was black separate from black people who are already here in America. Mm-hmm. Then, after graduating, I found out that, oh, I'm actually just black. Mm-hmm. Versus, you know, when thinking about the context of the larger society. So, the, to me, it was such a big shock. I mean, well, not... Uh, because coming in, you know, I, w- I was exposed to 
uh, American TV. I read, you know, very well. So I kind of had an understanding of race issues in America, but it was very theoretical. Uh, coming in to, uh, as an undergrad and then interacting with my classmates who weren't African-American, I just saw that there's such a huge divide between, you know, just in terms of how we thought, how we spoke, how we interacted with each other. And it, so and I had a roommate, so I remember one specific incident that really stands out. I, I, you know, just coming in, I didn't have much. So I had my mattress on the floor, you know, versus, and one, one guy comes in and he says, oh, you have the mattress on your floor, you know, yeah, just like you do back home in Africa. I was like, uh, <laughs> no, no, That's, I actually have yeah. beds. I just don't have, <laughs> you know, I just came, I don't, I don't have enough money to get a bed yet. But, um, but that just stood out to me as being that, wow, we really do see each other in very different ways. Who is the way here? Oh, so, uh, Africans versus uh, an African American. Okay. African Americans. Like we, we see each other in such different ways. Uh, Esther could probably. I want to add to that, honestly. Because yeah. I went to HBCU as well. Mm -hmm. And one conversation I had that changed my view of life. Mm. They basically were angry at me mm. because back in the day, mm. it was my ancestors that sold them as slaves. Mm. So that was huge. Mm -hmm. So because I experienced a lot of hate mm -hmm. sometimes mm -hmm. and I would wonder why, right? Mm -hmm. For instance, there was some financial aid that regular people would get and I would qualify for mm -hmm. and I wouldn't get it. And mm -hmm. I always wondered why. Mm -hmm. I would go to the financial aid office and they would talk to me differently, mm -hmm. right? And there's another lady who's like African-American and she'll be welcomed, you know, and, and they would embrace her but they wouldn't do the same with me. Mm. And I, I said, we are all black. Why, mm. you know, why was I seen differently? Mm. And until I had that conversation with that friend, you know, who basically told me, maybe this is probably like a little bit of the whole story, but the gist is that we sold them to slavery. And I was just telling you, I was totally ignorant of whole, the whole slavery situation. Yeah. So mm. imagine me being like, <laughs> sold, sold you to slavery, yeah. I, I was like taken aback by that. And from then onwards, you know, my whole perception of this whole story, yeah. I, I started to see that it's, it's bigger than me, it's bigger than I could take. So it, it takes time for, for an African like me to begin to understand mm -hmm. what they have gone through. And I will say that's what's made me a lot more empathetic because my experience with of America has been a lot more different than you guys because mm. even before I moved here permanently, I would vacation here and then mm. go back home. Yeah. So I was I always had some ties to it. Mm -hmm. When I moved here, one thing I did realize was the anger that existed among the black community, and I really couldn't understand that. You didn't have that same anger. I did not. Yeah. I did not have, and it's the same whenever I meet someone of a different race. I give you the benefit of the doubt until you give me a reason not to, whereas a lot of members of the black community tend to be on more offense where they assume the worst until someone gives you a reason to assume the best. So, so do all three of you guys, it sounds like in general, feel that the um, like animosity from African Americans towards you know the general white population seems higher than what you guys experienced as you know immigrants to this country from 
you know, black countries. But yeah, I mean, that, that definitely was also my experience that the anger that I saw, you know, you're coming to an HBCU and they're shoving, well, not shoving, you know, but they, they're telling you all these things and you know, there's all these black consciousness, black rights movements. Who's, who's they telling you? Um, I keep generalizing. It's it's so if uh, the institutions being from the HBCU institution, right. so you have uh, groups within campus. You have it's even um, in one of our courses, freshman seminar. Many of the conversations that we had were focused on um, the history of Black people in America, the emancipation, and we coming in. Or maybe I'll speak for myself. Me personally coming in and getting all this information and the only thing that I could think of, you know, which now that I look back and I, this is pretty bad, was that the only thing I could think of was that why don't you just get your act together? I mean, you're coming to America, everything here works. Roads, there's electricity, there's, you can set up your business without any... 24 hour electricity. Thank you, 24 <laughs> hour electricity. You can get up in the middle of the night and do anything. So to me, I was like, why can't you guys look at this opportunity and just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and, you know, just get going with life instead of complaining all the time? And I'm, again, I'm hoping I don't fall into a trap here, but I'm thinking that that's, that's, the predom that's one of the predominant mindsets that many Africans have when they come to America and they see everything that they see and they look at the African-Americans in the ghettos and it's like, well, you guys, why don't you guys just pull yourself up by the bootstraps, go to school, get a good education, because that's how we Africans conceptualize making it in America. It's interesting you bring it up because I actually was looking at some stats earlier, and yeah. so one of the, when you have conversations, I think right now the majority of like overt racism, mm -hmm. which is like, I hate all black people uniformly, I think that's mostly, you know, it will always exist to some degree, but I think a lot more of it is a more of a subtle subconscious racism, um, which I think is again due to a lot, a lot of you know if you look at the statistics on African Americans, you know tend to be much poorer, much um, higher crime rates, and I think that there's a lot of reasons for that, and I think that that complexity is one of the things that people ignore. But what's what's interesting is when you look at the stats on black immigrant families, particularly from Nigeria, but in general, their graduation rates from college are about double of African Americans. It's higher than the national average. And so I'm curious, do you guys think that, because um, people are always talking about, okay, why, why do these discrepancies exist? So do you, when you, when you see those things, when you hear that, do you think that, you know, for Esther's point, is this a matter of this social indoctrination where, you know, African Americans are, have been indoctrinated with a mindset that holds them back? Or do you think that it's still a very overt racism that is um, uniformly against everyone of a, of a black skin tone? I think it has to do with the institutional racism that exists in this country because one thing that education to me is really, really important. Mm -hmm. And when I look at Haiti and our illiteracy rates, all of that, it's terrible. So one of my um, opinions when I came here and I saw, oh my gosh, people can get free education up until <laughs> high school here. Mm -hmm. And I grew up a place where I saw people that couldn't even read or write, couldn't even read their name, couldn't, did not have access to the most basic level of, inform of education because they could not afford it. Yeah. And then I came here and I saw, wait, you guys have that and you still don't do anything with it. But then, now with my nine years of experience <laughs> here, I realized, wait, this kid is supposed to focus on school when 
they're in either a single parent household mm. or both of their parents don't even make a livable wage and mm. they have to worry about paying the water, electricity, um, the mortgage. They mm. have all of those things. Mm. And then when that kid, say that kid does get the opportunity to go to school, mm. who's going to be at home actually giving the kids, helping them do their homework, mm. making sure that they actually understood if that parent starting off doesn't even have that basic level of education. Mm. It's this kind of ongoing cycle that sometimes you see those success stories. You see people like Oprah that didn't start, didn't have the best beginning, but she's now, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, a billionaire. Mm -hmm. But that's not always the case because I don't believe the practices in this country have been established for minorities to succeed. So I think uh, recently it was last year that Nigerians became the highest earning immigrant group in America. And I think the... uh, Again, I, <laughs> by uh, by graduation rate, um, you know, it, it is very interesting to see there is a stark difference between um, African immigrants and African Americans. So, you guys coming from Nigeria, what do you guys think is the reason for that? So, I'll tell you how it is at home. You have a lot of students who want to go to school, who want to be the best they can, lawyers, whatever, and you have limited amount of universities, and the universities, you know, you pay however amount of money to go to those schools mm-hmm. or you have uh, the exams that you have to write and only certain amount of people pass those exams and of all the people who pass the exam let's say we have 10 people who pass the exams only about 3 of them get to go to school and you take from that society the brightest minds I tell you, the people from Nigeria who come to America are one of the smartest people in Nigeria because they are the ones that have access to those scholarship information at the U.S. Embassy or they have parents who are able to provide them with all the resources they need. You take those white people and send them to America. Tell me they're not going to take advantage of every opportunity they have That's here. That's a great point. So you right. think it's like a selection bias mm-hmm. almost. You're oh, yeah. the people that yeah. are most prime for oh, success. Oh, absolutely. There's an absolute... It, it's, it's completely unfair to even compare... Nigerian uh, interactions here in the States versus African Americans here in the States because you're getting, you're, you're getting, I mean, maybe not even the, like Esther raised a fantastic point that a very general point is that the people who are coming here from any other African country tend to have something that sets them apart from the rest of the population back home, either in terms of money or they're just better educated or they have this tenacity that. I have to get out of the situation I'm in. Either way, there's something that sets them apart from the general population back home. And I'm glad that Esther raised up that point, which is is very important. It's not fair to make that comparison. When you guys do like the applications for college for testing or anything, I feel like in general I see it's either like black slash African American, right? There's a designation. Do you guys think there should be a delineation for... Uh, between African-American and African from another country? Personally, I don't because when you're in this country, you're black. Right. People see you as black. People people see you as black. You're treated as black. You're black. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, generally, I'm fine with just saying black or Mm African-American. But sometimes if there's a space for other, I just click other. 
Okay. Because sometimes I want to see African. I do want to see that, yeah. make that distinction. I'm African. I'm black. That's mm-hmm. fine. That's why when I see black, I'll just mm-hmm. say black, uh-huh. right? But I'm not African-American. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm so either black just, or it, African. If yeah. it's just African-American, then you mm-hmm. will put other? Yes. Okay. Because so I'm you, black, yeah. Okay, so you think that black is appropriate, but African-American, again, is too... No, not I'm not specific. African-American. Yeah. I'm black or African. But you see, that's interesting that... Uh, a Nigerian, like a Nigerian American, is also technically an African hyphen American. Right. Asian American. I mean, we're technically African hyphen American. So yeah. that's why I find that distinction to be very problematic because people have different ways of defining what it means to be African American. Yeah. Is it right to hyphenate and say, "Oh, I'm Dominican American," and I'm, you know, but you're all African, so technically we're African American. Part of why I think this is really interesting is because, like Spill said, when a person looks at you, they're not like a sociologist, they're not listening for your accent, they look at you, you're black, right? So there is no, you know, nuance between a racist opinion of a black person, you're all black skinned. Um, At the same time, I do think that there is, I don't know if there's really any other example I can think of, maybe Native Americans, but like as far as a, a centuries long institutionalized oppression, African Americans have a very different experience than I think any other group you could look at in America. So I think that's part of why I think it should, it, it deserves its own acknowledgement because when you look at, you know, let's take Seville's example for um, what she's talking about, you know, school, and when you have someone whose, you know, grandparents were, were killed or they're separated, their businesses were burned down, it's like how, how do you realistically expect that person to succeed after like five generations of having their family torn apart, you know, their their resources taken. So I think that a lot of times where I get frustrated when I talk to people who, again, I think don't have overt racism so much as an ignorance and and they don't understand. Like, well, you know, I go to the bad parts of town, they say, and it's like, it's all black and Mm -hmm. black neighborhoods Mm -hmm. are bad. And it's like, I think you're ignoring a lot of, you know, the court systems, the way the highways were built. Like, there's so much... Redlining. Exactly. There's so much the reason why that exists that people are unaware of. Um, And I think that... So then when people I look, look at, you know, Nigerians. And people will use that example. Like, look, Nigerians are doing fine. There's no... Racism isn't alive in America. And I think that that's a very superficial understanding of how racism has worked historically. And so I think that that's, for me, one of the points that I hope to try and highlight is that racism is not just a matter of looking at someone and saying you're black I don't like you it's <laughs> a it's a legacy to contend with oh, there's also something that is in that I'm wondering if you guys could also comment on is that the the experience of Africans with racism um, versus African Americans with racism my experience personally has been that we Africans tend to be less sensitive towards racism from other non-black groups than you know, if, if a white person did something to you, you know, the the first reaction, that I'll speak for myself, my first reaction wasn't necessarily, oh, it's because I'm black. It's usually, oh, well, that guy just doesn't know what he's talking about, you know, as opposed to, say, an African-American who might say, well, I think he reacted to me that way because I'm black. And um, I think that, that that's also important. Like, culture plays, the culture that we're coming with plays a very strong shielding factor against 
racism, against our perceptions and experiences with racism. So I don't know if it's something that um, anybody else has experienced. I will say for me it varies. I'd say in the beginning when I first moved here, it did. And I could have just, people could just say I was naive to Mm -hmm. it. Or I just, I didn't pay attention to it because I didn't go into a situation Mm -hmm. immediately thinking that. Mm -hmm. After a few years here, and especially in the environment we're living in now, Mm -hmm. it's made me question Mm -hmm. people. Because things that before I would have probably glanced over, Mm -hmm. I read a little bit more into it. Mm -hmm. I remember, because before moving to New York, I've lived in Atlanta, Georgia for three years. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to one of my colleagues. It was, I was interning and I was talking to one of my colleagues and Mm -hmm. we were talking about where we wanted to live. Mm -hmm. And I told, and she told me that, well, she can't live Mm -hmm. in downtown Atlanta because she's blonde Mm -hmm. and that she has to be a lot more careful as to where she lives. Mm -hmm. And four or five years ago, I probably would have been like, oh, okay. But for me, the (laughs) fact that she had to specifically say that being mm. blonde in Atlanta, she had to be more careful as to where she lived. Right. It's as if she felt that her race was more endangered in certain areas or there were certain environments where she couldn't live in that probably me, I, I should be fine with it. Right. And when I tried to have a conversation about her about it, yeah. she did not understand it at all. Mm. So that actually helped reinforce my point that she was just ignorant. Mm. That for her, being blonde in Atlanta, she had to be more careful than me as a black woman. Right. <laughs> I'm curious, do you, do you think about where you're going to settle down? Yeah. Do you think it'll be America, or do you think it'll be Haiti? It'll probably be America, but I don't want my kids to be raised here. I had never considered that point, but I, I one thing I have heard is... Uh, for a lot of, like, the anger. So one of the things I care a lot about is, like, when people get mad about the kneeling in the anthem, which I think is, like, how could you possibly get mad about that? But I think uh, the thing is, when you're an African-American, you don't have another home. Like, this is your country. So when you experience that racism, it has more of, like, a visceral, like, I'm being, I'm not even welcome in my own home. Whereas I, that's why I'm curious, like, I don't know if, for you, this is a departure from Nigeria, and then you will return there, and this is for an education. So I, that's why I'm curious about when talking about that shielding. Mm-hmm. It's like I have a home that where I don't have to experience this. Whereas like mm-hmm. African American, they can't go anywhere. Like this is this is where they're from. This is their home, and so that they can't escape that. It's like I totally understand that being much more of a visceral reaction. Yeah. 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 The thing is, when you're growing up, right, the the first I don't know, ten years of your life, fifteen years of your life, right determines a lot of how you see yourself. Mm. Do you see yourself as confident? Do you see yourself as, you know, have a sense of what, right? And if you grew up in America, you were told constantly that you are, you know, if you're black in America, you're less than the white guy in America, right? Mm. Versus someone like me who grew up Uh, My parents think I'm the best child they have, you know, my whole community adores me. They think I'm a celebrity at home, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, versus, you know, growing up here. It's so different. So that's why when someone is racist to me, I, in the past, I wouldn't even notice it. Mm -hmm. I didn't even pay attention to that because you can't make me feel uncomfortable about myself. I'm too good. (laughs) 
like seriously, I feel that way. I have this strong sense of pride mm-hmm. for myself that nothing can shake, uh, shake mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that's why there are some times that I feel, you know, if I have a kid, just like you, I wouldn't want them to grow up in America mm-hmm. because those first, you know, years of their lives are so important mm-hmm. that I don't want them to feel inferior to anyone. I think that's I think that's all I have for today. I really appreciate you guys coming. Uh, I think one of the things I'm doing so this podcast is called Let's Talk About Race, and I think that these conversations are the best way to break through those stereotypes and uh, misunderstandings. So one thing I like to do, ask my guests, if you were to leave everybody listening here with you know one idea or one step forward for how to improve uh, race relations, then you can interpret it how you want to be. Representation of Nigeria, representation of African Americans, the distinction... Um, whatever you feel, if there's one thing you could do to help move that conversation forward, what would you ask people to do? I would say um, there's a lot of racism that's involved, not just, you know, you know the white against black talk sort of racism, right? But in, in schools and in institutions, right? I think that people need to recognize it and people should consciously try to fight racism. Okay. You have to consciously do it because those preconceptions that you have it manifest in so many ways. Or it might be like a black girl going to work with her braids and a white colleague saying, Oh my God, is that your hair? May I touch it and all of that stuff. Last right? summer. <laughs> yeah. So we have to consciously try to fight those instincts, you know, that comes up. And I know there's a lot of white people today that wouldn't think they're racist. But in some of the things they do, it's viewed as racism. So you have to consciously try to find do fight those um, instincts. I would yeah. say, yeah. I would say, don't be afraid or nervous to have those conversations. Um, what we want is understanding and empathy, as much as not you just putting on a poster and going to protest. Try to have those scary understanding because a lot can happen when two people or more decide to have conversations about these taboo topics. You can't know or fix or improve anything if you don't talk about it or acknowledge it, like Esther said. Yeah, I agree. Um, I guess mine would be more specific to um, looking at the relationships between Africans and African Americans. Um, And... I've always been of the opinion, well, now I'm forming the opinion that th- they just need to be better understanding of, of, um, of both groups and where both groups are coming from. And I think that it's starting to happen. We're starting to have those conversations, um, but we need more proactive conversations and more proactive steps towards bridging that divide between Africans and African-American uh, relationships. Because I feel that it... If we can come together, it's a very powerful synergy that will be formed and will make a mark on American society in a way that, a positive mark on American society in a way that hasn't been seen before. So it, we're, we're essentially the same people separated by time and circumstances. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's true of everybody across the world. True. I mean, we're all basically the same, just yeah. some minor differences are really focused on. Absolutely. Um, so that I think the, uh, the message here is be proactive, uh, don't be scared, and please continue to have these conversations. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This was fun.